Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and of course, FOMO Sapiens 24-7. And the topic today is a special one because I have a very special guest. We're going to talk about living with integrity. And when we talk about integrity, my guest, Martha Beck, it's she talks about the fact that it's not about like the, the classical version we think about of integrity, you know, sort of having integrity in your relationships with people. It's more like having structural integrity, making sure things are constructed in a great way in your life so that things are aligned and you can actually do the things that you want to do. And so I'm just really excited to have Martha on the show because she's an extraordinary, extraordinary human being. She is a Harvard trained sociologist. She has, actually, she has three Harvard degrees. Believe it or not, she's a world-renowned coach, and she is a New York Times best-selling author. She has published nine nonfiction books, a novel, and more than two hundred magazine articles. And she's been a monthly contributor for O, oh, the Oprah Magazine, for the last almost twenty years. And her new book, *The Way of Integrity: Finding the Path to Your True Self*, was an instant New York Times bestseller. Now, on this episode, we're going to get into some big ideas. And what's cool about Martha is she talks about really big ideas, but then she gives you extremely actionable things to do with those ideas. So I was really interested in what she had to say. That's why I wanted to have her on the show. And she's going to talk about how you can determine whether you're on the right path or whether you need to change course. And, you know, some of the stuff that we're going to talk about, you know, sometimes if you told me we'd have this conversation, I'd say, well, sounds a little woo-woo for FOMO sapiens, but I'll tell you something. What I learned is the kind of things we talk about are fundamental building blocks to figuring out how to build a life that actually looks like what you want. We're also going to get Martha's hot take on the great resignation, which is a topic that I find really interesting, and what our work lives are going to look like after COVID. Now, a small ask for you today is I would love to ask you to please subscribe rate the podcast, and share the podcast with people that you think would like it. I'm always looking to build the community, find more FOMO sapiens. And so if you know somebody, send them this episode and maybe tell them to check me out on Instagram and engage. Tell me who they'd like to see on the show. I love hearing from you. And now on to the interview. With Martha, I mean, I have my question I like to ask, but to be honest with you, it wasn't very hard to go deep with her. She gets into it pretty quickly. But I still asked her my very favorite question, and the question is this. What's the most important decision that you've had to make to get to where you are today? 
Oh my goodness. I think it was when I was getting my doctorate at Harvard and I had, um, and my second child was six weeks along in, in pregnancy and he was diagnosed with Down syndrome. And I had just a few days to make a decision whether I should terminate the pregnancy, which I'm very pro-choice. And if anyone out there has done, has had a termination, I am with you. But for me, it was a really interesting crisis because I was actually not answering the question, what kind, what baby do I want? Or like, do I want a baby? It's what kind of human life is worth keeping? And I'd been at Harvard since I was 17 years old. And here was this kid who would not go to Harvard and everyone around me, that was their whole scale of value. And I, I thought very deeply, <laughs> I must tell you. And what I realized is that I didn't care about achievement as much as I cared about joy. That if I achieved everything in, the, in my life that I ever wanted and had no joy, it wouldn't be worth it. And if I had joy and nothing I had ever wanted to achieve, it would be worth it. So I chose to keep the pregnancy against the strong advice of my doctors and advisors. And um, here we are. I had a, an amazing zen monk of a kid around me who still lives with me and uh, it changed my whole life. As you tell that story, I think of all of the overachievers out there, all the people who are always going for the brass ring and all of the things you prize for yourself, you suddenly realize that you don't want to impose them on somebody else, that the metrics are completely different for that person. So did that experience change you going forward so that you had a more holistic view of, I guess, what matters? Completely. Because I realized, you know, as I'm making the decision, it was so interesting. One of my top advisors in the graduate school, he advised me very strongly. He said, at, at least put the kid in an institution because it will ruin your career if you don't. And then a few years later, he was walking and slipped on a patch of ice in outside his office and hit his head and became completely unable to move. He had he could he had to be strapped into a wheelchair with a head strap around his head and everything. And um, my then husband went to a party where they announced him and he turned and saw this man being wheeled in and everyone started to applaud. And my advisor was there with tears running down his face, but unable to communicate. And it was so interesting. It was like a flashback to this moment when I thought, so something ruins my career. All right. Is that the meaning of my life? Is my career the sum total of what I want to experience? And I realized it could be snatched away any instant, any moment, a car accident, you know, falling on a patch of ice. And so I realized I have to live my life for what is intrinsically joyful. Aristotle called it a good of the first intent. Instead of something that can be traded for something good, you go for the thing that is good in itself. And I decided that happiness was its own excuse for being, and that was going to be it. That's what I was going to focus on for the rest of my life. Yeah, this is perfect segue because, you know, you're a person who had, you, you thought you would be a professor or an ecologist, more of a traditional path. And you ended, oh, yeah. you ended up doing something completely different and you focused, <laughs> you know, all of your education around this one big kind of question, which is how do we alleviate suffering, which yeah. is, I mean, it's a huge question, right? And so... I'm curious, like, how did you come to that insight that, you know, I'm going to do, because it's not like, it's not like you apply for a job. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. there's a job listing for like, eliminatehumansuffering.com, right? <laughs> so how did you come to that powerful insight? 
I think it was because I have a very low tolerance for pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, and I had had quite a bit of pain. I had I'd been clinically depressed for years, and I had several autoimmune conditions that made my body hurt all the time. So if you're constantly, and I don't know whether that contributed to the depression or whether it was cyclical, but when you're emotionally miserable and in physical pain all the time, you very quickly start to lose interest in all the hopping and jumping. And you're like, I, you know, I'd really just like to feel better. And then you become acutely aware of everyone's pain. And the fact that, as the Buddhists say, the first noble truth of Buddhism, everyone experiences suffering. And you start to develop, well, I started to develop an obsession with alleviating that because what hurt me also hurt other people. And I couldn't stand the thought of any of us suffering. I went back on your website And I was looking at your prior work and the books you've written, and you've gone into very personal areas of your life. You just mentioned your son at the beginning of the interview and that wrenching decision about his, you know, whether or not to terminate a pregnancy. You talked about being a survivor of sexual abuse as a kid. These are things that people don't talk Mm -hmm. about. I mean, especially, you know, I mean, nowadays I feel like people have moved into a place where those conversations happen more. But at the time, I can only imagine it was controversial, uh, especially to the people in your life. So oh, yeah. how do you get to the point? I mean, that's, at the end of the day, when I saw that, the word that came into my head was courage. Oh, thank you, Patrick. Um, for me, it was more mm-hmm. just desperation. Uh, for one thing, I grew up in a very regimented culture. I grew up in the most Mormon part of Mormonism with a family that was, my father was a pillar mm-hmm. of the Mormon faith. And that's where the sexual abuse came from. So when I started questioning that, it also meant questioning, you know, his ability to hold his integrity in his whole life. And then the pressures that came to him from his religion. Then I questioned Mm -hmm. the religion itself. Then I questioned all religion. (laughs) It just dominoes started falling everywhere. And what I saw over and over and over again was that leaving what is our truth, if we split from what we actually experience and pretend at all in order to please any kind of cultural uh, norm around us, we begin to suffer and then we begin to cause other people to suffer. So yeah, I wrote those things down because it's very difficult to get out of those situations. It's very difficult to tell the truth. You get, you lose people, you get attacked verbally, sometimes physically. And I knew there were millions of people feeling similarly trapped, and I wanted to write to them, like, here's how you can get out even though it's hard. FOMO. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to netsuite.com slash FOMO. That's netsuite.com slash FOMO. netsuite.com slash FOMO.
FOMO. Now, your new book is is continuing on this journey because as what I was thinking as you're talking is like living truthfully or living, you know, in a way that you are able to be integrated. It's not like a continuum. It's like one day you're you're trapped in this bad place. The next day you're free. No, it's like you need to work away at the layers and build up the courage and the self knowledge and the insight and the life experience to be able to see the areas where, you know, you may not realize something bothers you until later on. Right. And so, you know, that you, you, you've just come out with this book this year, which is called the way of integrity, instant New York times bestseller. Congratulations. And so I do want to talk about it because you guys, um, kindly sent me a copy of the book and I dove into it over the weekend and it is a beautiful, it's a beautiful book for now. It's also timeless, but the topic, it's great because when I first heard the title, I thought one thing. And then as I read, of course, I realized it's more than that. So it's all about integrity. And I want to hear first, like how you think about integrity, because it's a really important way of thinking about it. Yeah, it sounds very prim and moralistic and maybe even religious, but I am not religious and I'm not really moralistic either. But integrity really just means intact. I see it as a mechanical issue. So an airplane in mechanical integrity can fly. If it falls too far out of mechanical integrity, it can't fly. And that's not a punishment or a reward or a system of justice. It's just how things work. So I think that when we are united with what we deeply feel, there's a lot of research on this. When we're split apart from what we deeply feel, we start to get out of alignment and we start to crash. People who just lie a little bit less, for example, Uh, for about three weeks, have fewer doctor visits, fewer arguments with their spouses, their careers are going better. That's just if they tell a researcher, okay, I'll stop lying quite so much for a week. And, you know, if if you add up the number of times we depart from our truth over a lifetime, you can get into some really, really murky territory and you can fall apart. And coming back into integrity is the solution. And you say integrity is the cure for psychological suffering, period. Yeah. Now, first, I want to differentiate between pain mm-hmm. and suffering mm-hmm. because you can go through intense grief. And in t- like what happened to me when I was 29, I was so desperate to figure out what I really believed that I decided that I would not tell a single lie for a calendar year. I do not recommend this. Wow, radical <laughs> it truth. Was, <laughs> it was an intense year. <laughs> and I lost, you know, and that was the year I I became open about the sexual abuse. And, and I left my religion, my family of origin, which was huge, my community of origin, uh, my job figured out I didn't really like it. Um, my whole industry didn't love academia. I, I figured out I was gay. So there went my marriage. I had to flee from where I was living because we were back in Utah temporarily. So I lost everything and I was grieving intensely. But I wasn't suffering. I define suffering. I saw a pain clinic once that had a sign that said, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. So pain is about what happens to us. And suffering is about how we process what happens to us. It's about how we carry forward the experience of pain. And what I found in that year of, of intense upheaval and grief was that I was beginning to not suffer. There were periods when I was not suffering at all. When my life looked great and everyone seemed to love me, I was in horrible suffering. Now everything had exploded and the suffering was finally coming to an end. 
And I was amazed. And I've been looking at that ever since and, and writing about it and doing research on it and finally realized, oh, yeah, I think this is actually what they tell you in the ancient texts all over the world. The truth will set you free. That's what this is talking about. It really is the cure. And just from a day-to-day perspective, I mean, how did it feel different when you weren't suffering anymore? Oh, there's this strange sense of being lifted up and buoyed along. There's a delight. In, in Sanskrit, it's called Satchitananda, the beauty of the joy, of the suchness of this moment. There's always a continuous flow of, of beauty and awe and wonder through our actual experience. And when we're not divided from our actual experience by, um, by sort of mental attachments or splitting ourselves, that's what I think um, loss of integrity is. It's mm. that we get socially reinforced for abandoning our true nature and we follow the culture instead. When that's happening, we can't be in the bliss of this moment. We're off doing something else, trying to please people. And when we come back to just absolute simplicity, T.S. Eliot called it a condition of complete simplicity, costing no less than everything. And uh, my undergraduate degree was in Asian studies, and I'd lived in Asia and sort of absorbed this idea of being completely in the present moment as the foundation of happiness. And then I came back to Harvard, and nobody was living that way. And I was puzzled. I was very young, and I had just sort of soaked up the idea that to be in the bliss of the moment was the end goal, not the type of sort of pyramid hierarchy of achievement that the Western world so worships. I love that T.S. Eliot quote because I only thought he wrote about cats. I didn't know he was so deep. So, and you mentioned the, the word divided and I, I read somewhere that you thought about actually titling the book originally Undivided. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious for those who are listening right now who are intrigued and they say, ah, like, how do I know? Because I get, I, I imagine it's a continuum. It's not like an absolute. It's not like you're either integrated or you're not. You either have integrity or you don't. It's like, well, you're, as we mentioned before, you're, you're on that pathway. But how can somebody today, maybe they take 10 minutes and they sit down and they, and they just spend a little time on their own and they figure out where they are on that continuum? Yeah, I used to do this thing when I would speak publicly to large audiences. Remember that? How that used to be a thing? (laughs) So 2019. Yeah, I know. So I would be talking along about something else, and then I would abruptly stop and say, is everyone comfortable? And they'd all say, yeah. And I'd say, no, no, honestly, tell me, are you really comfortable? And they would say, absolutely, yes. And I'd really drive the point home until they were frustrated and annoyed. And then I would say, how many of you, if you were home alone right now, would be sitting in the position you're sitting in right now? And no one would raise a hand. And then I would say, why not? And the more high achieving, the more educated, the more amazing the people in the audience were, the longer it took them to figure out why they wouldn't be sitting that way. And the answer is, it's not very comfortable. So the discomfort isn't the problem. The problem is that they would look at me in clear daylight and swear they were comfortable at the same moment they absolutely knew they weren't comfortable. So pretending to be comfortable when we're not is sort of the baseline lie we all tell ourselves. If you want to get clear, Pascal said all our misery comes from the fact that we're unable to sit quietly alone in a room. So COVID has done that for us, hasn't it? Go sit quietly alone in a room and ask yourself the question, am I comfortable? Am I comfortable in my relationships? Am I comfortable in my job? Am I comfortable in my my physical body? 
and just start to tell yourself the truth. And you don't have to do anything else at first. Just that step into, yeah, this is not perfectly comfortable, takes you back into your truth and starts to alleviate your suffering right there. It's a very powerful exercise. And you're right. I think many of us, we were given the opportunity. I'm not going to say forced to do because I think it's a great opportunity in the last year and a half to spend some time thinking about, you know, what are we doing? Why am I doing this? Is this what I want to do? And it's interesting because I think the result of that has been this great resignation that we're all reading about in the paper is the fact that I think in the month of April, 4 million people quit their jobs. We have never seen these yeah. kinds of numbers. And I'm curious as you think about the societal trends, like, do you think we we are in a place now where things will change permanently and people are going to be more mindful of their integrity? Or are we going to, as the world kind of swings back into action, do you think we'll sort of get back to the the reversion to mean and, and that we had before? Oh, you are so asking my favorite questions. Okay. My doctorate is actually in sociology. And 30 years ago, when I was in graduate school, I was analyzing the social changes that were causing disruptions in gender roles. Mm. And I realized, oh, my goodness, we are on a one-way track of accelerating change. It's accelerating exponentially. And the exponent at which it is accelerating is also accelerating exponentially. So I've been out there with corporations and audiences for years going, change will not go back like it's it's getting more and more rapid and intense it's affecting us more and more deeply and it's not going back the way it was so here's the thing covid let a lot of people out of their cultural cages the assumptions for example that we have to go sit in the same building to do the same work at similar sized desks in under fluorescent lights that's a factory model of production that's Henry Ford's model. And you know who loved Henry Ford and sent him a, a medal for creating the modern job? Hitler. I'm not even kidding. Look it up. Oh, no. So <laughs> what happened is everybody was like, I'm very comfortable going to this, this office and sitting in this position in this really uncomfortable polyester suit or whatever it was. And then COVID said, you know what? There's really no reason to go into the office. And people are breaking the bounds of their sort of cultural um, limits, like a river that has flooded. It's not going back. I can tell you that as a social scientist. I don't know what will come. It's not even predictable anymore. But it's never going back. And the one thing I brought out of that is there's a method of living in a life where the world is changing unpredictably and continuously that can still make you stable, grounded, and calm. And it can still help you plan the right career. It can still feed your family, all those things. And it's finding your integrity, getting centered on it. And now you're like a surfer on a board. The board is your integrity. And all you have to do is keep your balance on it. And even these massive waves of change, you can ride them. You can handle them. And everything I've ever done or taught is about that. And, and I, I handed in the manuscript for this book the day New York City went into lockdown. And uh, it's like, yeah, and it's going to keep doing this. I hate to say it, but I think it's true. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages, but I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. 
Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. I used to wonder what it would be like to live in 1968 because I remember when I was, you know, in school, we would read about 1968 and it wasn't just like the U.S. It was like, you know, everywhere. It was Mexico City had the student shootings and you had the red shirts in Italy and you had this like kind of global conflagration. And then the 70s were this really, you know, this time of a lot of change and economic turmoil and all the sort of wars and all kinds of crazy stuff. And then it felt like things got kind of calm. And then, <laughs> and so then in the last couple of years, I've been thinking to myself, you know, these are historic times. Um, yeah. We are living in times of trap, rapid change. And, and there's lots of good things happening too. And if you take a long view, I was with a guy, uh, the other night who runs a foundation that is all, it's entirely focused on cultivating a 10,000 year view, uh, which I thought was really interesting. Right. But at the same time, you know, I think it is important to remember that you are only going to be around for a certain period of this 10,000. And so you need to prepare yourself to ride the wave, as you said, and be in the condition that you can survive and thrive and have a growth mindset, even when things feel really uncomfortable. It's going back to that concept of joy, because where you where your integrity takes you is whatever makes you feel more joyful. So I, I like to take clients to track lions and rhinos in Africa. And one of the things you know is that when the track is warm, when you're following the track and it's clear, you say it's getting warmer and warmer. And the metaphor for finding your right life and your right job and everything is the prints of joy in the body are the hot tracks that tell you you're right, you're following what you really want to follow. That's another metaphor from the wave thing. But this re- you have to go to metaphors because it's a condition we've never faced before. And we need all the metaphors we can get. And it turns out they come from ancient practices. Surfing is ancient, and so is animal tracking. And when we go to that sort of primordial self, we can track through any environment. We can surf any wave, and we have joy doing it. Now, you mentioned that your book, you know, you you turned it in right when COVID hit. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that's when when the FOMO FOMO nearly died of the COVID-19 illness. But as I was researching you yesterday, I realized... You've been talking about FOMO since the early days when it hit the dictionary back in 2013. You wrote about FOMO and and really, by the way, your article on FOMO, which everybody can Google and we'll put it in the show notes from 2013 for Oprah Magazine, you hit the nail on the head about how to think about FOMO, which I really, I was just, it was very validating for me because I was, oh. I was like, well, okay, if she thinks about it that way and I said it, you know, I think about it that way, then I'm clearly on the right track. I'd love to hear your updated hot takes on what you think about FOMO right now, how people, because it's back, by the way, it's doing, it's like supercharged. How, give us your take. Um, first of all, I have no idea what I said, but I'm really glad you liked it. 
Um, as I told you, the first thing I thought of when I saw the the acronym was flocks of magic otters, which just gives you a, a clue into my personality. So I don't know what I said, but what I would say now is you're missing out if you're not here now. You know, it's that old, it's kind of almost a bromide now, be here now. Mm-hmm. But um, like one of the things I was, I was speaking to a group on, on Zoom the other night and I, I was remembering a Navajo prayer and it's called the beauty prayer. And it's just as you go through the world, you say constantly, beauty before me, beauty behind me, beauty to my left, beauty to my right, beauty above me, beauty below me, beauty within me. But you don't do it that fast. Mm. You stop and look for beauty or joy or love or whatever it is in all the seven directions. And when you do that, you snap into a sense of being so vibrantly alive. And at that moment, you're not missing out on anything. So you're being absolutely true, absolutely present, because both the past and the future are only figments of our imagination, right? So when you're really on the track of your integrity, there's no possibility of missing out because you're saturated in every way by this bliss of being I keep talking about. Yeah, I think after this whole period, listen, I'm very in touch with my FOMO. I, I you know, I'm, I'm super, <laughs> I'm super, I know I, I, I have all these stimuli. And what I have noticed is after the last year and a half, I am, I feel it much more acutely. And I also, mm-hmm. though, know what it feels like not to have it. And I know I have a pathway back to that spot because I've felt I've been I've crossed the Rubicon to the point where it's sort of like if you've if you've been a really great athlete and then you're you're thinking about training and you know what it feels like to be in peak performance. And so you have a place that you can go to. You have a mental model that is available to you. So so I love what you've just said with that kind of mantra, because that's a really powerful way. I think mantras, especially when you're trying to get into a place, even just saying the word now. Yeah. Slowly to yourself. That that's a really good way to just focus on the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Martha, all that said, you are mm. a, a FOMO sapiens. You've taken a really unique and powerful path, but you are also a human being. And I imagine that once in a while you do fear missing out on something. So what do you f- sort of as you think about things you might miss out on, what what gets you a little bit fired up? Gosh, you know what? I really this is Actually, I used to have FOMO for literally everything. Mm-hmm. And now I can't. Like if I died tomorrow, I think I would miss seeing how this great adventure plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, here's one. I developed a foot problem after breaking my foot in Africa mm-hmm. and couldn't walk really well well for a few years. And I developed intense fear of missing out on the experience of walking through the world, walking down the streets of Manhattan, walking along a river, Oh my goodness, the, the the desire to walk was overwhelming. I just had surgery and I think I will walk on it again. But here's the thing, Patrick. One thing I ask people is, what do you want? Tell me what you want. Make a list. And then I say, now, when you wake up at night and it's dark and it's silent and there's no one there, what do you yearn for? Mm. And they give me a very different set of It's a very different list, and it has things on it like peace, joy, connection, love, beauty, all the stuff I've been talking about. And here's the thing. The only real FOMO is for those things we yearn for. Because if we get what we want and not what we yearn for, we'll still have FOMO. But if we may not get everything we thought we wanted, but we get everything we yearn for, we do not have FOMO. And I think you teach people to switch and go to the place 
where they're truly experiencing the moment and they get the things they yearn for from that process. And that's brilliant. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. The book is The Way of Integrity, Finding the Path to Your True Self. You can find Martha at MarthaBeck.com. Martha Beck, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Patrick, for your for your FOMO, for your podcast, and for everything you're doing in the world. FOMO. Can't get enough of FOMO sapiens? Join me on Patreon for ad-free episodes, bonus material, and exclusive content that will help you to master FOMO and position yourself for greater success in both business and life. Go to patreon.com slash FOMO sapiens to learn more. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I love hearing from you, so don't be shy. FOMO sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrom. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMOSapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO. FOMO.